Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we are doing part two of our uh, three-part series on Losing My Edge, the uh, LCD Sound Systems debut single, um, which we also sort of think, and uh, or at least I feel, uh, sort of corresponds beautifully with this podcast as I am aging and losing my edge and veering uh, ever closer to cultural irrelevance. I have two of the kids uh, coming up from behind teaching me um, what's new and what I should be listening to. Um, anyway, I'm going to kick it over to Christian to uh, to start off uh, this episode, um, and we're uh, we're starting with the proto punks on this one and suicide. Christian, what, you want to hit it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, suicide are actually probably one of the best known groups uh, referenced in this song. I think um, you know they were a two piece featuring singer Alan Vega and keyboardist Martin Rev. Um, Alan Vega, of course, you know, passed away just a year or two ago. Um, Martin Rev, I think, just put out a new album. Um, but they were really the source point for every subsequent synth-pop duo that sort of glutted the 1980s, if you think about, like, Soft Cell, Erasure, Yaz, et cetera. Um, but, you know, by contrast, and, and you know, I, I don't think that musically they provided um, necessarily the, uh, the, the source point. Um, I just think, you know, structurally, the, the two-man um, synth and, and vocals... Uh, uh, sort of dynamic um, worked worked to that end, but but Vega, you know, was really a, an incredibly confrontational um, performer, uh, and that really sort of kept them relegated to the fringes of, of musical culture, I think, um, and really sort of uh, caused them to identify more um, with uh, the likes of, of the punks who were playing at CBGBs um, rather than the, the sort of pop musicians. Um, so, uh, you know, unlike all their followers, um, I just mentioned to, you know, gain big fan bases, Suicide really never did. Um, and, you know, I think their, their real spiritual progeny here were groups, actually British groups like Throbbing Gristle and, and Cabaret Voltaire, who, um, who really, you know, let off the UK's, uh, industrial sounds. And they were, you know, very much firmly rooted in the, in the avant-garde, I think, um, like, like their forebears, but they fucking rock. And I just have to tell a really short anecdote, um, which was that, uh, very recently, um, we were, uh, I was at a Simon Doom show at Union Pool, which was a very family-friendly event, um, at about 2 p.m. And, um... And this was uh, this was an opportunity for um, you know b- between between sets actually um, the the guy who was um, I guess queuing up music uh, decided that he would throw on suicide, which um, given that there were uh, quite a lot of uh, young yeah. children here um, they were they were pretty horrified actually um, I think when uh, when Cherie. Um, and uh, 96 Tears came on, and you have the, you know, screaming, um, like, absolutely horrifying, blood-curdling screams in those songs um, that, uh, that that sent the kids running out of the room, which was pretty funny. So. <laughs> obviously, they didn't have... They could never made it on to Elmo, as a guest. I was going to say, obviously, they had no Swans records to spin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Michael Michael Kara would have loved that moment. So anyway, um, next up, uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about Lou Reed. Next one, yeah. Kick this off? Next one is uh, is another of the more um, I guess higher profile references in this song. Uh, nobody doesn't know Lou Reed. I like Lou Reed, um, but I uh, you know I don't think I need to you know really uh, douse you with a, a, a take on the Velvet Underground and enormously. 
influential band um, and, you know, the, the band that really changed everything as far as I can, you know, as far as I can uh, see it as, as in terms of what, you know, a rock and roll outfit was uh, able and capable of doing in terms of boundary pushing um, and, uh, you know, just the uh, cooler... The, you know the coolest rock and roll band of all time. The one thing that is fun within the song is when you do hear references to something as as uh, well known and and um, you know, sort of popular as Lou Reed is to sort of uh, you know there's some conjecture about you know which which album or track might they be uh, might um, you know is James Murphy reference? is yeah. the actual reference and and, and I'm going to go off out on a limb here and say it's Metal Machine music because there's nothing. Uh, there was nothing ever cooler than cool uh, than uh, you know pretending to like metal machine music, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a it's a great pose to take. Uh, and the exact same thing in my head. Yeah, pretending yeah. I remember like. I remember reading about this before I ever heard it, or before I ever you know knew anything about it. I remember reading about it uh, in um, uh, carburetor dung. Um, the psychotic reactions of carburetor dung, which is uh, the the assembled uh, essays of of Lester Bangs, which came out my senior year of high school in '87, <clears throat> and um, going, oh, I got to get my hands on this metal machine music again. My same friend who was into the creation joke is on you, and others had a copy, and um, that was the first and last time I ever voluntarily listened to that record. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to kick it over to Jer. Uh, I think we all know and love Lou Reed, and I'm going to send it over to you, Jer, for the Modern Lovers. Yeah, good segue, considering Jonathan Richmond spent a lot of time on Lou Reed's couch in New York um, recording some of these songs and sort of being uber-influenced by the Velvet Underground. Surprising he doesn't so, have a song called Lou Reed's Couch. <laughs> <laughs> he is that literal at times. Um, you know, I mean, I think Modern Lovers, if, if anyone's listened to this pod, knows that it was on my uh, Defend Your Year in our inaugural pod as, as one of, you know, my number one album, actually, of the, the year I was born. The album actually was recorded, and a lot of the songs were recorded prior to that. Um, and I think the thing that really sets Jonathan Richmond, first of all, a great reference, right? Uh, to your point when, you know, all of the course, Modern Lovers Murphy, tracks. Yeah, Murphy was referencing The Obscure and Lou Reed, but, you know, just anybody who's a fan of The Modern Lovers, instantly you know you like. And uh, the reason is, is, is you know, they're, they're one of those bands that just kind of, I don't know. They just they have the 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 groove and the sound of a Velvet Underground with the accessibility of somebody driving around of the Archies, yeah. where where Wayne and I spent a lot of our lives. Yeah, I mean so, it's, um, it's it's um you know it is uh it, it's infectious and every you know you it makes you happy. It it is it is yeah. the Velvet Underground of happiness. <laughs> This. Absolutely, and, and and I think a, a starter kit for a lot of, like Big Star, some of these bands that always get cited as kind of, you know, Velvet Underground as well, Disciples, you know, yeah. not many people bought the albums, but everyone who did started a band, I think Modern Lovers is certainly on that, uh, that same list for bands like Pavement, Pixies, you know, R.E.M. And again, I think this is really, this is, I mean, just to, to keep, you know, it's the, the seminal sort of point of, of this song, which is really, you know, this is part of the the stanza where he's saying, you know, I, I I heard you have a compilation of every good song ever done by anybody, and then goes on to say all the Modern right. Lovers tracks are part of that. So I mean, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's his, he is just he is poking fun at the fact that, uh, really, uh, you know, what is hipster taste and credibility, and how you know how um, uh, consistent is it across scenes, and and um, 
So, uh, but but yeah, definitely they're they're one of the sort of cornerstones for anybody who's uh, uh, who's well, a fan of this kind of music. It harkens back to, and and I think this is still true today. And uh, you know, just a personal experience. I remember spending some time in New Orleans in, in the late '90s with an ex-girlfriend and running into some of her friends and going back to their apartments. And you really did used to kind of like scope people's CD collections or their album collections. And there was one guy, you know, in that whole crowd that had modern lovers. And that's what we played all night because he and I took over the stereo and all of a sudden became DJs that night. And and we're going to convince everyone else that this was, you know, one of the greatest albums and and bands on earth. And I think, uh, you know, to your earlier point, that's the sentiment of this song as well. And I well, think know, that, Jeremy, again, I heard that you have a CD compilation of every good yeah. 60s cut and another box set from the 70s. Yeah, I was going to say, that's also the, the sort of uh, the, the, the vein that runs through this um, this podcast as well, which is that, um, you know, it always become, you always become more convincing and uh, people become more receptive to new music as the night wears on and, and uh, everybody gets a little bit more twisted. So... Um, with that said, um, let's move on to the seriously twisted and um, Captain Beefheart. Well, uh, Beefheart here is, you know, obviously driven by the mad genius of Van Vliet and early uh, produced, I guess, and linked to, to Zappa, um, another another staple of the freak scene. Um, Beefheart is uh, obviously, you know, favorite among cult music fans, and you know, I think this this band swung between psychedelic blues and um, uh, and, and freak out rock, but you know, in, in general, um, it, it's sort of something that hip music nerds love to love, um, and was super influential for everybody from Tom Waits and you know to to the Flaming Lips. Yeah, this was um, a, this was a big barometer for for uh, people my age, my vintage. It was sort of like you know, if you had n- knew who Captain Beefheart was, that was a step in the right direction. If you liked Captain Beefheart, that was a second step in the right direction. It was sort of like this. Uh, it was a cultural barometer of sorts to see if you you know had a I, I, almost like a um, you know a. A willingness or a uh, an openness to that kind of thing, but also you know you could take the threshold of having some freak out in your ear and and turn around and say that's good stuff, you know. But I'm sorry to cut you off. No, not at all. Um, you know, I, I think that the uh, the you know the reference in the song, I mean, of course, is precisely to the fact. It, I mean, is is pointing out that Beefheart never quite made it. You know, this is the 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 motif or the recurring statement that I was there. I was there when Captain Beefheart started up his first band. I told him, don't do it that way. You'll never make a dime. And of course, you know, <laughs> Beefheart was like, you know, he was just famously, uh, un- I guess, um, unmoved by what would be popular and, and sort of committed to his, uh, his style or, or his plan. Fringe. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> he was going to do his thing and he did. And you know, I'm sure more people could have listened to him if he'd if he'd compromised a little bit. But you know what? The uncompromising artist is perhaps something that James Murphy is interested in. Yeah, I agree. I think so. And and the Sonics uh, from Seattle was uh, one of those bands that was uncompromising. But also, when you go back, sounds you know relatively tame in retrospect. I mean, they don't sound too far off from the Trogs or or any of these but other 1960. bands. But yeah, but the, these other bands that scored hits, and but yeah, I mean they are, you know, in 1960 they probably sound like the Stooges did in 1968, 69. Yeah, they, 
sounds like literally hell on earth. Yeah, probably scared like the shit out of people. And it, the funny thing is, they're they're actually a fair number. I think if if not all of them are, are still around and and have recorded more recently. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think they play every once yeah, they, in a while. Yeah, they tour. They they regrouped and, and tour. And but I unlike a lot of these, you know, I actually heard an ad on the radio today for a, a Journey Asia double bill and I was trying to count on and it didn't take more than a couple fingers to figure out like how many living members they could possibly trot out on the stage at this point so um, amazingly the Sonics um, you know I think had a, a bulk of their uh, actual band members were still around and, and still game and, and uh, by virtue of the fact that they'd been embraced by a younger um, uh, you know the new gener- a new generation um, and uh, you know, they came back and, and did their thing. So that well, is the and, Sonics. And of course, this is like also... the creation, too. Just a killer band yeah. name, by the way. Oh, yeah. And one, the killer band name, which is also, you know, a little bit... Um, uh, what well, I mean, it, it the pun is sort of worked into the into this song as well, I think, you know, which is that the song goes out. Um, and as it's, as it's uh, concluding, he just, you know, he repeats, the Sonics, the Sonics, the yep. Sonics. <laughs> and it's like, you don't know whether... The, you don't know whether he's talking about the band or... Or, um, or the, the music or the itself, Sonics. exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but I just, I love that. Like, I love that repetition. It's such clever, like wordplay, you know. So yeah, there's some really funny stuff in this in this song, and we're gonna get to more of it. Um, uh, can, but uh, speaking of, of funny, uh, Jerry, you're taking uh, the Electric Prunes, which has got to have been a pretty funny name when it came out. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> we're just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, uh, that's a shitty band. <laughs> Um, another band, I mean, obviously Murphy and, 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 you know, much sort of outsider music fandom, you know, these are in that sort of Nuggets collection, Sonics, Electric Prunes. These guys were late 60s, L.A. band, and they do have a great song title and the song that actually was their biggest song, which was I Had Too Much to Dream. And uh, they actually get to play that little ditty on American Bandstand. Yeah, that was a, <clears> but, that was um, a hit. Yeah, no, a legitimate hit. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think they're, though, another one of those groups that sort of gets forgotten, right? You know, you sort of have, like, that, that one-hit wonder that, um, that of that psychedelia that was probably influenced a lot of the stuff we love by the Stones and, and um, some of the English bands. Um, and the Electric Prince were one of those guys. It's also... kind of came... I was just going to say... Sorry, I was just going to say, it's also, like, they're the only band... I mean, they're one of the only bands that I think... I I've really heard of that were on Nuggets like that that name I mean partly because I guess the name sticks out but um, I think that song was big enough that it like it had a little bit of traction and staying power right I've oh yeah it was a, it was a full on radio hit I mean I wasn't around in '66 um, but uh, uh, you know I mean I, I fairly recently heard it on a classic rock station so it's uh, you know it definitely had its moment in, in the same way that Time Won't Let Me or or the you know the Chambers Brothers or any of those yeah. uh, you know sort of one hit and they were decent sized hits or or something in the air by Thunderclap Newman or something you know these these songs that have stuck in in people's brains for a long time but they're not by artists that you know had any sort of lasting success and so they tend to be uh, forgotten along with the song but as you know people remember this people will remember but, the song but not necessarily the artist who did it but but I'm sure that James Murphy is referencing other electric prune songs rather than just uh, just the one that was yeah, the, yeah, that was the opening obvious. song on nuggets right he's like, obviously totally. referencing the b-side of the, the deep electric cuts, yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but anyway let's take a let's <laughs> take a break and come back and we'll talk uh, kraut rockers and Berliners let's go to Germany <laughs> 
go to Germany. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm Wyndham. I'm here with my brothers, Christian and Jeremy, and we are doing a reference by reference dissection of the song Losing My Edge by LCD, by the great LCD sound system, in honor of a number of things. Their upcoming, um, their upcoming uh, residency at Brooklyn Steel, which Christian and I are going to go see, and uh, it was announced this morning that they will have a new album, their first in seven years, on September 1st. So, um, you know, let's, uh, let's go back to the very beginning, the first single that they put out, uh, Losing My Edge, and let's pick it apart like a bunch of vultures. Um, <laughs> uh, so the next, the next subgroup that we have is Krautrockers and Berliners. Um, and nobody can, you know, you can't spell Krautrock without can. You probably can, but um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, what was that about you being the uh, the only guy in this podcast who grew up spelling without spell check? No, no, no. I actually said that I was the best speller on the podcast, which is just like sort of being the math different. and science whiz of this thing. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, can was uh, you know the sort of, between uh, you know craft work and and can you you sort of have kraut rock. Um, covered uh obviously there's you know a number of other uh great and interesting bands now and um uh you know popol vu and some other uh interesting players but can kind of defines the artier edge of it craft work being the inhuman um you know sort of man versus van uh, man v machine can was just a let it all hang out kind of i mean great players uh really interesting um you know takes on on modern music um you know again on down from the stockhausen uh school of of getting crazy but um you know can had uh i actually saw today sorry i, I don't mean to uh diverge too much but i actually saw today that there was a new Can compilation called Can the Singles, and I thought, what the fuck is that? Because Can was yeah. a definitive album band, you know, Tago Mago and um, you know the other uh, the other stuff they 
put out in the 70s, they were just truly an experimental art rock band. I mean, to the point where, you know, the song structure and, and you know, the vocalist, they had one vocalist who was a, an American um, traveling in Germany who they, you know, sort of nailed down who, who made more noise than, than sense. And, you know, then they had a, a singer who was a Japanese, um, you know, visual artist. And it really had nothing to do with words and songs. It had everything to do with feel and, you know, sort of generating art um, via uh, the soundscapes that they were putting together. That said, they do have some, you know, some tracks that we will call songs for the sake of it that, you know, are, are very memorable, that, that do hang um, and, and, you know, were charting singles, things like Spoon. Um, but, you know, to, to, you know, to be honest, this, this band stands to uh, influence a million other bands, and, and you can hear it on uh, some of the uh, bands that we listen to now, you know, bands like Spoon, who name themselves for Can Song, um, you know, when they really hit their, their deep dive into the Can catalog, you can, you can always hear it reflected in a band's music. Um, it goes in for that sort of um, polyrhythmic percussive, um, you know, sort of freak out that, that Can was famous for. Any... any um, you know, anything to add to that weirdly non-sequitorial rant that I just had? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, I think it was definitely, it was a rant in the image of uh, Cam's music. Of a can song. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, collage which, rock. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, collage rock criticism in this case. But yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, just, just since, well, I'm, I'll pick it up with, with Faust, I guess, um, which, you know, I think, Krautrock, more generally, um, it, it is sort of interesting to think of the way that, that this music tracked simultaneous to, you know, the development of, um, you know, early punk in the U.S. Um, this was obviously a, a different set of social influences and pressers, but, you know, it was st- this similarly sort of consigned to the, to the fringes of, um, of rock music. Uh, you know, Faust, I think, even less um, sort of well understood or, or you know well known at the time um, than can, uh, but they were uh, I guess they they were founded in Vuma. Um, if that's was that how was my pronunciation, guys? Um, it was. You said it quick enough. It was no mumbled well enough that to, to mask your lack of. German. <laughs> yeah, exactly, of reading German. Um, but uh, in, in any event, these guys were around from seventy one to seventy five, and. Um, you know, really, uh, I think another another sort of one of the canonical three or four bands that people think of when they think of uh, Krautrock. Um, but you know, there there is a sort of uh, uh, experimental quality that I think pushed the avant garde even further than um, some of the stuff that that Can did. Uh, they weren't really ever very you know popular, but they were critically acclaimed for sort of the way that they they you know blended blues, jazz, and soul. Um, and, uh, you know, actually they subsequently had a pretty big impact when people started digging up their records in the eighties and in sort of industrial rock. Um, and I think they were, they got back together for a while in the nineties and actually toured. Um, but, uh, but I, I was not there. Well, that's a that's again, you know, to, to sew this back into the fabric of the uh, song that we're talking about. I mean, the, uh, the can reference in this, in this case being that, uh, I, another, I was there. I was there when Can had their first uh, their their first rehearsals in in Cologne. In Cologne, nineteen sixty eight. Cologne yeah. is way um, easier. So you know, it's, it's way, another than, uh, you know Vuma, wink so, to uh, um, being yeah. at the forefront of being being cooler than yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that said, um, 
you know, uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. Should we jump to Niagara? Yeah, why don't you jump other, into Niagara? Uh, German group mentioned. So, um, <clears throat> you know, Niagara is, is a, aside from having a, a lovely, beautifully formed breast on the album cover, in 1970, uh, that may be sweaty or wet, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, Niagara is basically a, pretty much like a, a drum jerk-off. I mean, it's like the best, uh, <laughs> you know, beats and sort of drums. And, and I think anybody who's into dance music or b-boy, you know, hip-hop or anything <laughs> is... Uh, Jeremy you know. on this one is the most appreciative <laughs> of, um, yeah, of, of experimental <laughs> art rock, I guess. <laughs> You can you can both the best, most succinct in, admire yeah, exactly. admire the album cover and the uh, and the actual beats. Um, but yeah, I mean it was led by an Austrian actually, uh, Klaus Weiss, <laughs> and uh, you know basically three sort of known for three conceptual albums. And this was a drum orchestra. I mean, so this was a full on, you know, the 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 the, the beat and the the bottom comes first. And, uh, you know, I think this is something that, you know, absolutely, and I'll, I'll admit it, and I think you guys can, can side with me here, I had no idea who the hell Niagara no. was. Because there's also a, a second Niagara who is a French uh, sort of dream pop duo, which, as we know, Murphy certainly could have been influenced by and, and, and may actually appreciate. Um, my guess is it's the Niagara that I'm talking about. I think about. it's both. And, uh, it's like, it could it's be. like the mugs. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he's literally, he is trotting out his hipster cred here. It's like the entire point of this is that, like, he knows, you know, he can he can hit the duplicates too, you know? And, like, if you're confused, well, that's because he, he, like, it puts you, the listener, in the position of being sort of awkwardly unsure of which one they meant, but desperately wanting to understand which one it is, um, which is exactly how, you know, this sort of, like, power relationship of, like, um, music knowledge is is used and abused all the time, you know? Yeah, sort of. Absolutely, and I think it's one of those things where, like Heartworn and Highways, which we talked about on the last pod, the country pod, where I had a number of friends sort of look at me askew as if, like, you know, I was a moron for not knowing like that Like you'd movie. never seen Star Wars. I think if we talked yeah. to, yeah. yeah, DJs or people that are into, you know, sort of uh, hip-hop and, and, and really deep diving into dance music, probably Niagara falls in that same category. Totally. Possibly both. And the one, the one thing, so about the Krautrock guys that you, I mean, the, the Krautrock version of Niagara, um, you know, that, that I think is also worth mentioning is just because Murphy was a DJ for so long, like, any B-boys or, you know, like, crate-digging DJs in... Um, in the U.S. or the U.K. Uh, in the late '80s and '90s, probably would have known them just because they would have they would have so badly wanted you know um, their uh, their you know the, the Niagara record so that they could sample the drum beats. Yeah, sounds like it. And um, you know, it's funny. I mean, when you when you mention sort of uh, lording oh, uh, your your sort of credibility over others. Um, I'm always reminded of of the interviews around Exile and Guyville when that first came out, you know, with Liz Fair, and the whole, you know, reference of the uh, title of that record being, you know, I wish she was in the rock scene, and all these guys knew, you know, what kind of guitar somebody played on X track from whatever, and she was like, who gives a shit? It's good music, and it's not good music. Um, you know, so this is sort of, and we are uh, certainly guilty of that. And um, but I hopefully, uh, you know, Liz, I, Liz Fair now a very uncool reference, Wyndham. By the way, yeah, of course. Uh, after after I, her after her rebranding. So. But um, you know, I will de- I will declare uh, my own surrender on uh, Manuel Gotching um, because <laughs> I had no idea who Manuel Gotching is. And I do I will have to you know I do have to say, and this is my I was there moment. I 
You don't know Ashra Temple? I do. I actually I'm did kidding. know the name. I did. I've never heard them, um, but I did know the name. Uh, oh, but you, I do. You, you know, you I just haven't really listened to it. You know, I grew out of it. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's it's okay. You know, like when you're. I I, I it's so like did very that ninth grade. Yeah, I did that when I was seventeen. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I will say I I had heard of Ashra Temple and was never tempted to dive in. Um, so, you know, he was a, you know, he was an ambient, um, you know, sort of electronic music, um, frontiersman, uh, you know, sort of, a, a somebody who influenced Brian Eno and others. But, uh, I have to say, um, this was my white flag for losing my edge. I really, uh, I had no idea who Manuel Gutching is and I looked it up. All right. I, I lay down my weapons on it as well. <laughs> yeah. so should we take a break? This is not my hell to die on. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so should we uh, let's take a with, break with that? Can we can we wrap up Kraut Rock and and move on after this? Yeah, let's so. let's take a break and we'll come back with stuff we know about more. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, and we are dissecting uh, LCD sound systems, losing my edge, reference by reference, as if it were a frog and we were in 10th grade biology class. Um, with that lovely uh, bit of uh, illusion, I will uh, introduce uh, the punks and art punks, and the first band that, fall, that I think we falls under that category Um Perubu, one of my favorites, one of your favorites, Jer, and um, a band that never put Cleveland on the map. So hit it. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, uh, you know, most of our, our post-punk heroes formed, you know, in, in Mecca's like Lower East Side. Man, oh wait, sorry, Cleveland and uh, Cleveland, Ohio, in the late seventies. Um, what a weird place for a, for a band to be from. And, you know, um, Ohio at the time, I guess, had, had a couple of things going on, these guys and Devo. Um, but, you know, this was a band that came from the ashes of Rocket from the Tomb. They were a band that, you know, I find really kind of hard to explain. Like, there's a few bands in my life, and I understand terms like, you know, art punk or punk, that just sounds like nobody else. I mean, you throw on dub housing... And uh, you're just like, what is this? And I love it. And, you know, it, it's something that they described as sort of, um, you know, 
uh, I'm sorry, performance art, you know, music in, you know, kind of, they had industrial sound, they had like a, a weird warbly sort of, you know, vocal delivery and uh, fragmented, you know, with, with kind of punk guitars and, and heavy bass lines. So, um, you know, Perubu is, you know, if they were left off of the list on, on Losing My Edge, I, I would think James Murphy had definitely lost his edge. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of these, like, just, okay, starting, starting from the name, you know, the first thing you know about these guys, you see it written on a piece of paper and you think, oh, shit, I'm going to have to pronounce this. Um, I mean, I distinctly right. remember, like, that was that being my first reaction, seeing it on a CD, like, in a store, and I was like, oh, this is going to be embarrassing if I talk to the cashier. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really is. Like, it, it's not designed for its accessibility, right? Like, um, but that said, there are a couple albums in here that are, like, that are just fucking awesome. And, and that really, and they are so, there's so much diversity in their music, I think, that, like, different people who have completely different interests can pick things out that they like. Like, I love Dove Housing. I think that's sort of a consensus among, you know, broader rock fans. But they're really all over the place. Well, it's it, actually, their the earlier stuff, uh, Peter Lochner uh, being their guitarist and, and you know, sadly uh, died very young uh, at his own hand. But um, he, you know, he, he had a <clears throat> very distinct... Um, you know, he, he was the blue, you know, he was the architect of their sound and Dave Thomas, who had that very distinctive, as Jer uh, referred to it as a warble, which is exactly what it is. There's no other way to describe The word warble was, was invented yeah. to describe Perubu's <laughs> vocal delivery. Um, you know, you can't, you, they were, re they were a really strange batch of, of folks and, um, you know, they really were sort of performance artists and, you know, once Lochner died, they, they changed gears a little bit and um you know sort of more short succinct stuff but they're very choppy career-wise but they are another band and jerry and i have had this conversation before about bands like um you know um neutral milk hotel when they first came out where perubu was one of those albums where i always think i'm the only person that's going to like it and anytime it comes on someone else is always like wow what is that that's awesome and so it's and one I of those bands you think nobody else is going to like except you but they wind up having a sort of universal appeal I think truly a word of mouth band as well. You know, they're not truly. a band that you're going to kind of uh, hear on the radio. I'm definitely not going to hear on the radio. But even sort of like, you know, these days with satellite radio, XMU or something like that, like, you know, people don't really deep cut into Perubu. It's really a band that I've always found that's like, hey, you have to hear this and still is today. Yeah, it has to be in your album collection. You're not going to hear it incidentally. So. Um, anyway, moving on, we're, uh, Christian, you have Mars next. Yeah, and I'm actually really excited about this one because this allows me to be um, a, like an imperious dick and uh, to everybody because I really did organically on my own figure out who this damn band was when I was like 15 or, or I was 16 because I was in, I was in uh, high school in London and um, was shopping for stuff at Rough Trade um, record store uh, in, I guess, Covent Garden. Um, and, um, I think that's where it is, right? But in any event, um, yeah, this was, uh, this was on a, I picked up this, this Brian Eno, like a name I knew, Brian Eno, but I didn't really know exactly what he'd done. Um, and he produced a compilation album called No New York. And, you know, I, like, seriously, at this point, my ignorance was sort of like, well, I don't really know what No Wave is. It sounds kind of cool. Um, and this was really intended to document the very short-lived no-wave genre. Um, and so the four bands that were on here, two of them are actually relatively 
well-known, I guess. Um, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, which was Lydia Lunch's band, um, would be one of those. And the Contortions, which was led by James Chance, who's also better known, I guess. Um, and then the uh, then you have Mars and uh, and DNA. Um, I'm fairly sure that if you ask 99.9% of people anywhere whether they'd heard of this band, the answer is no. Um, but uh, I have, and I just want to let everybody know that. Um, so you were there? And I was there. That's exactly right. You were there, <laughs> you were there in 2007? So, having, when, uh, having given you absolutely <laughs> no useful information about this band, um, because, by the way, it's just, I mean, it's super dissonant music. Um, it was, like, very, very experimental. Uh, the DNA was... It's hard to listen to a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, there's some Arab on radar stuff that came out later that was, uh, like, that's a much sort of later iteration of this, but um, similarly, like, you can tease out sort of, you know, bass lines for periods of time or guitar hooks for periods of time within songs that um, sort of give you some semblance of, like, rhythm and structure, but it's pretty, like frantic and frightening um but at, at the same time i will say like in terms of just uh, like it, it is it will ever forever for me be one of those like really palette expanding experiences where you just i was like shit yeah i guess you could make this an album you know it's like i guess somebody could record this and that would be music um and the, yeah the, it does change your view on on what yeah constitutes and then, music i mean and you the, grow up thinking it's songs and it's not right and then i mean i think of the th- of, I honestly, of the three of us, it might like I'm probably verged as a result of that towards some of the like weirder, more angular, like mathy punk shit. Um, partly because it was also you know being made when I was in, in high school and college, but um, you know that I think was, was partly a result of hearing something like this. So it's a pretty. I mean, I, I realize I'm giving more of a, a personal uh, a personal tinge That's here, fine. but yeah, it's uh, they were it, it was a it's a very cool. Uh, four band, I guess, sixteen song uh, compilation. So I recommend people check I it out. I think that's a, I think that's nice. the beauty of uh, losing my edge in LCDs. Outlook in general is that you know, I mean, it is this. The song is part referential, part reverential, and part you know, sort of autobiographical. So it's you know, it definitely you know, it invites you to sort of project your own shit onto it. And uh, um, you know, if being an imperious dick in, in <laughs> London and then in the two thousands. <laughs> Um, if being in high school in the 2000s in general uh, is is part of your thing, then, then you know, also be it. So, Jared, the Trojans? Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to be another one where we're going to take some liberty here and, and assume two references, um, you know, one being what would be my preference, although I fear it's the other. And uh, the first is the Trojan Records, which was, you know, basically very influential 60s ska, rock steady, dub, reggae label in England, which obviously launched, you know, and, and influenced bands like the Specials and all the Twin Tone stuff later on, but but was a huge, huge uh you know, way of, of sort of British people hearing reggae and, and rock steady music. The second would be, um, you know, sort of not sure who they influenced, but a band called the Trojans, obviously LCD Sound System, a band called the Trojans that was also from England, and they were basically just a, a straight up sort of ska uh, band that was that was in the late 80s and 90s. And I don't have too much to say about them at all, other than that's who they were. And they were mentioned in the song. Other than the band probably took the name from the record label. So uh, That's a good one guess. One of Jeremy's favorite bands, obviously, the Trojans. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, ska in general is something I avoid most of my life. But I think they're the Manuel <clears throat> Gotching of ska, yeah. frankly. <laughs> Definitely. Um, no, British, uh, British Manuel Gotching is, is, yeah, I think that's right. And, and with that, um, I, with, I'll just pick it up and we'll go to the fire engines. Um, these were actually, you know, slightly better known post-punk Scots who were formed in 1979, uh, more abrasive and discordant than, you know, I think any of the other sort of pop revivalists at the time and, and their contemporaries in Scotland. So, you know, I'm thinking like Orange Juice and Joseph K. Um, like bands that I love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these guys are... are pop music. Completely like threw melodies at, and hooks at the window in favor of just noise and fury. Um so, you know, I think uh, it's completely understandable where this would fit into the puzzle. Later reunited in Scotland, Orange Juice and Fire Engine's sound came together to be, to make Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah, so, uh, that's exactly right. Know, this is, you know, if you had one in one ear, one in the other, then you've got Psycho Candy. The perfect Anyways. mix. Yeah, so uh, anyway, next up is The Slits. The Slits were, I, think, I would have to say, uh, you know, The Slits were a band that were... I, I hate to say this because it, it sounds like a, a you know so authoritative, but I would say that they were more um, they were more famous for being present than they were for being great. Um, they were you know it was a group that that came out of the ashes of um, Flowers of Romance and the Castrators. Uh, they were young, uh, all female band. Um, they opened for the Clash on an early tour and they were kind of more I mean to the best of my recollection they were more more notorious than they were um, you know really uh, that great but with a lot of things from that era they get lionized for being um, of the moment I mean I I feel like X-Ray Specs has that kind of uh, and, you know, people will argue with me on this one, but I feel like X-Ray Specs and, and, you know, some other of the early British punk bands, um, you know, kind of get the benefit of, of having been on the forefront of it rather than having been, you know, really uh, a great part of it. Um, and, again, that's one person's opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think the other piece of this is that the X-Ray Specs, you know, uh, well, in addition to the fact that O Bondage of Years is an awesome song, um, the fact that... Bay and the Slits were women doing it in a completely male-dominated punk world at that time was really impressive. Um, and no, it was remarkable. Like I think the fact that they were also like young teenagers. I mean, it was they weren't even like eighteen. You know, wasn't the chicken X-ray specs like fourteen or fifteen when they first came out? Yeah. Um, and bow wow wow and yeah. I mean, it's like that that kind of stuff. It takes like I mean, you know, it's what I was about to say. Well, they also were. <laughs> a band that, you know, actually had a huge reggae influence. I mean, a lot of their music actually, you know, speaking of Trojan records, mentioned a few uh, references past. I mean, the Slits were punk, but they also had a lot of kind of ska and reggae in their music. I mean, I think you, you can't think of them without the classic album cover as well for Cut. That's true. (laughs) Um, It is a classic. We encourage everybody to look that up. Uh, So... With that, should we uh, move on? I think um, we're going to talk about the Swans a little bit. Um, yeah, we're going to throw this one Wyndham's way again. Yeah, well, um, considering they've gone, they've been around for most of my life. Um, this is Michael Guerra's uh, band. It's been around since the early '80s, and you know, really came out as a sort of experimental noise rock. Uh, noise band, really a no wave band, um, and it is. 
you know, they were a very, very large, um, you know, dominating sound. Is I think his whole ethos has been to, you know, sort of, oh, you know, sort of overpower uh, people with mu- you know, with his music and, and certainly his live live <laughs> shows have uh, sheer you know, utter if you've ever seen terror. Them, yeah. And the funny thing is, and this is the thing that people forget, is that they got signed to a major label in the mid to late 80s and put out a couple of records that were, you know, very radio friendly and, and or attempted to actually, you know, crack the uh, album charts. Um, they did a, like, I can't even refer to it as anything but a beautiful cover of um, Can't Find My Way Home uh, by a traffic song. And um, they had a song called uh, Saved in the late 80s that uh, I, had, you know, I heard on the radio and, and could not believe it was the same band that I had uh, heard, you know, through my, again, through my friends at school that uh, had much more, you know, sort of cutting edge experimental taste than I did. Um, that said, uh, he reverted, Michael Guerra sort of stripped the band uh, of its parts and reform the swans and went back to trying to um, ca- uh, cause a, a sort of a pandemic of deafness. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm f- after 1997 and, and the rest is history. But I, you know, obviously I think, um, you know, again, the reference point here I think would be the early 80s um, version of uh, the swans, which is a very. Um, uh, I, it's hard to refer to it as anything but bludgeoning, um, and uh, you know, again, a sound that they re- that they not only returned to but doubled, tripled down on, and yeah, uh, they found a huge new audience too as well. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, I, well, I think their I think their later stuff's much better than their earlier stuff, yeah. um, and that middle stuff kind of uh, you know it was such a weird um, digression departure, yeah, yeah digression that it, it just. You know, but it all came together, I think, in the more recent years that, you know, where there's a little bit of song structure in the crazy, you know, uh, avalanche of noise. And I, I like that. I think it sounds great. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I really, my own experience with these guys was like, I picked up on them with their album, with the album The Seer in, uh, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that, well, first of all, that and To Be Kind, which came out in 2014, have two of my favorite album covers, um, which is just, mm-hmm. a, the first one's, you know, completely black with like a wolf face emerging, you know, straight on, like out of the darkness. And the second one is just the head of a crying child. Um, and, I mean, just creepy as hell. I really didn't, like, I sort of knew that this was a name that, had, like, had some, you know, weight or significance to it, like, be, behind it, or there was a history there, they were well known. Um, but I've got to say, having sort of explored for further back, I think I picked it up at the perfect time. Um, you know, I think those are two of their best albums, and uh, just really freaky shit. Um, but but yeah. great, I mean, you know, great music, and I've, I've, I'm excited uh, to see them in a couple of months, actually. They're coming to, coming to New York, and I think ostensibly playing a farewell show, so we'll see what that means. Yeah, I was going to say, it's their last tour, right? I never, I, I never say this, but bring earphones, bring earplugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's one of the rare ones where that's sort of the the overwhelming consensus from everybody you uh, you speak to. Yeah, it's a, it's really a, a, a you know a test of of your physical uh, <laughs> capacity to listen to music. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a it's where your ears are ringing well into the morning. Yeah, 
and, and well several days later, six <laughs> yeah, days exactly. <laughs> well, in, well into your convalescence. Um, anyway, uh, next up is the germs. Is that, are, jump ball? Which uh, Jerry? Are you taking that think, one? No, I think Chris is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, you know, live hard, die young, right? Um, Derby crash was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's pretty much right. Um, you know, uh, immortalized certainly in. Um, uh, in the decline of Western civilization, but I mean, also, you know, the, the germs were, um, Darby crash and, and company really sort of blended the sex pistols. Um, and, uh, and with, you know, Iggy and the Stooges, uh, stage presence, recklessness, um, you know, on a, on a personal level, um, hurling himself around, cutting himself up, uh, for, for the audience. Um, you know, he was, he was a total psychopath up there. Um, and, you know, I think it was a pretty. I mean, you you were actually present for this, um, but I think you know they've basically their one and only record is actually amazingly accessible when you think about sort of yeah, what the. Yeah, it really uh, is. It's surprising. I, it, totally, like when you see the footage of this guy performing, you're thinking, "Oh, this is going to be shit," and then you you know you like you actually you spin the record and it's like, "Wow, this is actually really tightly." Yeah, it's kind of like the Buzzcocks like or something. Tightly woven yeah. punk, yeah. And it, I mean, I think it was hugely yeah. influential in terms of the sort of Southern California punk rock of, of the next twenty years. So, um, what's your I mean, what's your take on it, guess? Well, I was going to say it's got one of the few uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members. Um, you know, I think it's up there. With, who else is in there? Lou Reed and and maybe uh, uh, one or, one or two others in this song. But um, uh, Pat Smear uh, was later inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Nirvana, um, and imagine he will be again with the Foo Fighters. So um, you know, he, he survived the germs for sure. Yeah, he survived Darby <laughs> Crash. I remember seeing. I, I would. I have just to you know reiterate what you said, which is seeing Darby Crash live footage before I ever heard that record. Um, you know, as, as or actually probably hearing the record, seeing Darby Crash's live footage, and then hearing the record and realizing that that was the same person is uh, it was the real disconnect for me. It was it was really strange. But uh, you know, great band, great album. Uh, Sorry that Derby Crash died at 22 or 3 or whatever three, it was. 3, I think, yeah. Which, by the yeah. way, is not a hard shot to call when you see the interviews with Penelope Spears and Decline of Western Civilization, so... No. Um, no, no, you're surprised he made it through that documentary without dying on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <clears throat> um, so, he, he was sort of, I mean, for lack of a better term, he was uh, the Sid Vicious of, of American punk. So, right. Um, Christian, next up is Nation of Ulysses. I will let you have... This one, yeah, I'm gonna, they're from your hometown. That's right. Um, yeah, no, so we're, I mean, Nation of the Ulysses is, yeah, look, they're a DC band on Discord um, with a, uh, you know, either too much earnestness or, or irony for, for their own good, maybe, but, um, you know, I, I will unapologetically defend them because it's, it's um, it, yeah, it's, it because it's because it's what I do. Um, they're one of ten that come from DC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, uh and you know, I think look, they they sort of they pulled the the revolutionary like political rhetoric from from bands like MC5 um, in the era of Fugazi, and there was sort of like it was never really clear how serious any of that shit was. Um, it certainly was, you know, laced throughout all of their songs and music. And God, would they just bludgeon you with it in live performances? But it wasn't entirely sh- like it, I didn't know how much of like a part of the, you know, performance that was. Um, and I don't think anybody did. Um, you know, they, they really, you know, their liner notes, they referred to as propaganda. Um, it was really sort of uh, attempted, you know, attempted to be sort of anthemic radicalism, but also, you know, that itself, 
Um, coming from D.C., it's like, I'm not sure I buy this. There might have been a hint of Christopher Guest in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, I think that... Uh, like they, they, you know, certainly threw themselves into it wholesale and never, never admitted the joke. So, um, you know, there's got to be an element of, uh, of of truth to it. But um, there was a lot of lot of debate about that, and I think it probably held them back because their music's actually pretty great. I mean, you know, for um, that sort of era, Rites of Spring, similarly, um, you know, uh, Fugazi. I mean, if you know, if you're a fan of Fugazi, you'll you'll probably like these guys. Cool. It's funny. I mean, it's a band I never really tapped into, despite liking Rites of Spring and and Fugazi. Quite well, a bit. It's, I mean, all the political shit that I was describing kind of eclipsed the music, and that's always a hard thing to you know um, to to get around. Uh, I I think, but um, but yeah, if you just sit down and listen to them and ignore that stuff for a minute, then it's actually pretty good. I like it a lot. Cool. cool. Well, I think it's it's kind of fun talking about the the punk rock or what we're calling sort of the punk rock. Uh, section of this song because it, it really does kind of, you know, counter some of the the dance music, kraut rock. You know, we, we've really gone through <laughs> three genres now or four genres in, in this in these uh, pods on this one song. So um, I think this might that might be why we like LCD sound system yeah. so much. This is a journey. Um, just yeah. a, a hint. But um, I'm gonna end this this section with Royal Trucks, who another DC band, which is totally weird because I do not ever picture them from DC. No um, one does, and they were like just nobody. None yeah, of us who are from there, by the way. Like I always <laughs> just assume they're from LA. New York or someplace. No, they yeah, seem like exactly. the ultimate LA band to me. I don't know. And, well, they were uh, yeah because because they were starting out. They got I think you know they were both stupidly good looking they got modeling yeah. contracts at the and same time they picked up heroin yeah, habits exactly. yeah i mean they i was going to say this was the band that like was look before sound to me you know and they were sort of circa 87 all the way through 2001 i actually think I've heard rumblings that they they put putting something out, you know, recently, um, you know. But this was a band that like just was kind of like just the aura of cool was around them with uh, you know Neil Haggerty and, and Jennifer uh, Harima. Harima, Harima, thank you, and you know she was a C- Calvin Klein underwear model. He was um, too. Yeah, and it was I didn't know he was actually. I just yeah, I he just was, knew a, she he was. was a model as well. And they also had kind of a cool, like, you know, pre-sort of Pussy Galore, John Spencer, bluesy kind of boogie okay, sound but, but to their just, kind of indie let's rock. Let's pause for one second and reflect on all the things you've just said. They have a bluesy swagger. They're extremely good looking. Uh, they play sort of like traditionalist music and they have... Uh, heroin habits compared to uh, the the music scene of DC that I know, which is full of with you know no disrespect meant a lot of ugly people with shaved heads, a lot heads. of X's on yeah. your hands. Yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, you guys invented guys. straight edge, yeah, exactly, the, and like and people who basically which was which was, by the way was a which a group of people uh, abstaining from having sex that weren't going to have sex anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you know, and like <laughs> rejecting um, you know rejecting sort of like traditionalist rock um, and. And so, yeah, I'm this like there is no reason to believe these guys would be from D.C. I'm sorry. It's weird. Well, and it, you know, a lot of these bands, as much as I like them, make me think that like it's probably good. James Murphy got out of playing punk rock because he's, he's sort of a one note sound prior to, to trucks. I mean, trucks is to me has the most sort of swagger out of this list of, of kind of what we're calling the punk rock group grouping. Yeah, definitely. They she had a great growl, by the way, too. I mean, they were. Oh yeah, they were. They were a force. You know, they yeah. were definitely. They were sexy. A, they were great. Yeah, absolutely. 
But All right. We are with Royal Trucks going to wrap up this uh, second section of um, uh, the second section of of uh, losing my edge. The three part series in which we painstakingly dissect every reference that James Murphy makes in one of our favorite songs. As if- Nerds, nerds. As if it were the as if it were the Civil War and we were Ken Burns. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, without so. without uh, yeah without the photo uh, support that that he has. So um, all right. So with that, uh, we'll take a quick break, throw on some tunes, and then come back. Come back. Yep. podcast we are uh closing down part two um of our epic uh dissection of losing my edge by lcd sound system if you're still with us uh thank you for your uh tenacity and um i think this is a lot of fun i hope you do too uh we're gonna end this um pod by the same way we end every pod which is uh with a what are you listening to and uh jaron what are you listening to so uh, it's it, for me. It's, it's what am I viewing? And I'm a little behind on on TV. I uh, I've totally fell in love with the first two seasons of Fargo, and I am uh, just DV. I've DVR'd almost all of season three or whatever's come out now, and, and I'm kind of marathoning through it. So um, so far so good. Not quite as captivating as the first two seasons for me, but. Um, but I'm sticking with it because I, 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 you know, like I think you said, when it's sort of like it's the worst Beatles B. album is still great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, uh, a, it's a solid B. It's it's a yeah. good. It's a it's. I like it. It's worth watching. It's not as good as the first two. Christian, what are you listening to? Uh, well, I'm actually listening to uh, Proto Martyr and Battles um, since uh, we're going to be going and checking those guys out. Uh, checking them out tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. So, um, yeah, getting ready for that show. Well, don't get them confused because it's uh, that's a bad mashup. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult mashup to take on the ears. And I am uh, currently listening to. I'm not listening to. I am reading a book called The Nix, which is N I X, which is uh, um, a I believe a fairly popular um, bestseller among the sort of. Uh, New Yorker crowd, but uh, it's so far so good. It's uh, pretty funny. It's about a uh, um, a 
guy whose mother abandons him and then winds up showing back up in his life by virtue of making a very uh, ill-advised um, political statement or non-political statement, but winding up being a national meme and winding up back in his life as a result. And it's pretty funny. So far, so Oof. good. Heard good Haven't things. finished it. But um, you want to add a, a, a song to the list uh, of the 100 gazillion yeah. top 10 Trillion songs million. of all time? Christian, uh, Christian you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I will add uh, M.E. by Gary Newman. Um, and uh, this is a tune that obviously was subsequently um, used as the basis, I guess, for a, a basement jacks um, or uh, a sort of sort of dance anthem but um but you know where's your head at yeah exactly um but you know this is a a great song in its own right and i love his vocals on that um he's got such a cool sound like i mean however his voice was recorded just rocks um yeah very under underrated in this country i find um you know everybody remembers cars and very little else but i mean those albums are great two-way army albums are fantastic so jerry what are you listening to yeah, so I'm going to go to a band that we referenced here, and I'm going to hit the, the opening track of Dub Housing and uh, the song Navy nice. with two Vs, which is a song that continually blows my mind. Ah, well, that was mine. So um, <laughs> I will, uh, I'm going to throw on a, a I'm going to go with a Royal Truck song, uh, a song that lived on a lot of mixes for me in the, uh, I believe... Uh, in the 2000s at least, but I think it came out in the mid to late 90s, and it's uh, You're Gonna Lose. Um, and it's the best delivery of the word cocksucker I've ever heard in a song in my life. So You're Gonna Lose by the Royal Trucks, and well, we are gonna sign tragically, off. Tragically, they're oh, not on Spotify. Oh, no. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, if we really want to add something to the playlist, I'm gonna have to push you now that you've you've got two strikes, Wendell. Now that I'm over for 2. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, what about a germ song? Yeah, throw in a germ song. What about uh, Manimal? Done. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Excellent choice. Thanks very much. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back, and I will. Uh, I won't. I'll have a longer list of, of songs next time. But <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks for listening, and we're going to come back with part three, our third and final installment, and our fiftieth episode, ladies and gentlemen. Our fiftieth. Wow. Brother, brother, brother. See you later. That's it for this episode of Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks to Simon Doom for our intro music, Hair of the God, and to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening. <laughs>